thanking you, Lord, for not just who you are, because you are just, we're learning more and more that you are the most amazing, awesome, mighty, and powerful, and gracious God. And we are just so grateful to be a part of your children, your family, your chosen. But today, we're just so grateful to come as students, Lord, as disciples, as those who would come to learn of you, Lord, by your Spirit. I thank you, God, that your Spirit is so willing to teach, willing to impart knowledge about who you are, because your Word is your, a picture of you and is, is your, the revelation of you. And, Father, we are so grateful to be able to have these scriptures that tell us about you and imparts this great, greater knowledge and big picture, Lord, of who you are. And not only a big picture, Lord, you show us the details of how you love us. And I thank you, God, for all that we're learning, all that we have come to understand, what you're showing each one individually. And thank you, God, for today as we study together. And uh, I just pray that your anointing would be upon each one, Lord, conversation, uh, the scriptures, Lord, the teaching, and and our prayers, Lord, in everything, God. We ask for your anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David said the heavens declare the glory of God. And the fundament showeth his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his soulless supply. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. And he's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He starves God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. 
He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of Lords. That's my king. Yeah. Yeah. That's my king. My king. Yeah. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He, he's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. is the kingdom and the power and the glory the glory is all his thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and when you get through with all of the forever then amen every time right every time This one has more, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. There are quite a few versions out there, and I chose the one that had the most. Um, he has given it much thought in, what, in the way he described it, and I really appreciate it. Actually, after studying this week for this teaching portion, which is not going to be in your um, lessons, this portion that I'm teaching this morning is not in your lessons because it's a little more uh, obscure in thought. You know, it's, it's more... Co- um, um, well, anyway, so... <laughs> uh, I had split the scriptures for last week's into two. So that's why uh, you can imagine trying to do all those in one week that I had for, there was two full weeks of a lot of scriptures. So with that in mind, I kept this next section of grouping. I decided to call it world impact um, because it has to do more conceptually than um, it's scriptural 
ex- you know, exact scriptures. So that's why I put it all, wrote it all out for you. Now, I apologize. I'm going to talk fast because there's a lot. And the more I studied this, the more I realized, wow, he really put in the time with this and understanding um, the words that he chose for to, to get this thought about his world impact. <clears throat> so I just really interesting. And I, they're distilled thoughts after much study and meditation that he's put in. And what a blessing it is for us to do that. And, I, and I'm, I will speak quickly, otherwise we'll be here too long. But I just really wanted to, to go through. And I, and I thought, some of them, I, I thought, oh gosh, well, this is more, uh, you know, ideological. It's not really, but it's, it's all very impactful, what, what uh, each one of these. Um, he describes them beautifully and picturesquely, don't you think? He gives you a picture in his mind. For example, and I'm just going to go through each one of them. He's the greatest phenomenon who's ever crossed the horizon of this world. And you think about, you know, something coming across the horizon, something coming up from the horizon, you know, of this world that is just so majestic and so beautiful. He's the greatest phenomenon. And a phenomenon is, it's, 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 something that's come into existence that is perceived by all the senses, by all humanity. It's a phenomenon. It's something having a real demonstrable existence, one that evokes surprise and admiration. He's the greatest phenomenon that's ever crossed the horizon of this world. Jesus was made perceptible. He was made, he was notably, has impacted the whole world in every arena every arena. He crossed the barriers of time, all the generations, all the civilizations, all the continents, all the governments, all the religions, all history, literature, music, art, science, philanthropy, psychology, warfare, education, medicine, philosophy. I mean, every area of impact in this world. He is God's son. And, you know, we think about this, but he's God Trinity into heavens. He's, you know, from the beginning, you know, God spoke to himself about how he would create. He's God's son from the beginning in the Trinity in the heavens. He's God in human form. And he also came in Christophanies, you know, in the Old Testament, he, where he actually touched earth and came to earth and spoke to man. This is God's son. He's God at the right hand of the Father now. He has ascended back up to, and he's at the right hand of the Father. And he also came as the sacrifice to build the bridge back to fellowship with God. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later in one of the ways that he uh, explains. But God, God's son, if you can imagine the, uh, the impact of what that meant for the Trinity, for him to do all that he has done. He's the sinner's Savior. He is the fulfillment of every offering. He gave himself, and we're learning all about those offerings on Sunday morning, aren't we? We've learned about the sin offerings, the tr- or sin offering, the trespass offering, the guilt offering, the peace offering. We're going to be learning about the first fruits offering and the wave offering and the grain offerings. He's the fulfillment of every single offering. And it's interesting that even as Greg's going to be going through this, he's represented by the bread. You know, he's the wave offering, the grain. He's, you know, the first fruits of every believer. He was the first. Yeah, it's just interesting, right? But he was our atonement for sin. And Greg mentioned this morning, or excuse me, last Sunday, he said, just think about how much blood. 
Think about how much blood was involved over all the years, how many animals had to die. If you've ever been a part of, you know, butchering an animal and just massive amounts of blood. And I think by death and blood, he's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He is the time marker. If you think about a centerpiece, you think about a table, right? Uh, all humanity marks time before and after Jesus' arrival. Amen. You know, and, and it's, don't you think it's just amazing that somebody back in that Roman time decided to change the time <laughs> right before, you know, B.C. and A.D. Ado Domini, the year of our Lord. And he's, you know, he's, he's God's plan for redeeming from separation Fellowship, you know, I talked about that bridge, but hinged, it all hinged on this, the centerpiece, this, this, this piece of, of our, our history and civilization, all on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All events prior to this pointed to this and to Messiah's coming. Everything in history pointed to this. And then everything after Jesus came point, point, pointed back to the effects of this, the results of Jesus' life, the results of his death, and, the, and having access to God now. Everything now points back to why and what he did. It became the pivotal point for the whole Gentile world. Think about this. Before that, the Gentile world didn't have this access, didn't have this centerpiece. It was not, they, they saw it, you know, only by the miracles that he did with the Jews. Like, oh, wow, they've got a good God. You know, their God is powerful, but it wasn't theirs. And now this became the pivotal point for the whole Gentile world, for the rest of the world. And only Jesus has the way to eternal life. So all the world has come to Jesus, and Jesus has come to all the world. That's called the centerpiece. He's the center. Thinking of a circle table, and the whole world came to him, and he came to the whole world. Isn't that amazing? He's the centerpiece. I love this next one. He stands in the solitude of himself. And solitude just means soul one. He stands in the oneness of himself. Now, do you realize how many things in Scripture speak of God being one? There's, first of all, the Lord our God, the God our God is one, right? The, the thing that the Jews recited for year, year after year, every prayer. And that there's only one God. There's only one way to heaven the man, Jesus Christ. There's only one Savior for sin. Everyone who comes to the Father must come through him. There's only one who's worthy to open the heavenly scroll. Remember that, Revelation? Only one. They just wept because there was no one worthy. And then Jesus came and took the scroll. He was the only one worthy. One solitude. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. There's only one worthy of praise, no angel can accept praise. Only one. God. There's only one who rose from the dead by his own power. Only one. He's alone in his position. And we, didn't we look at all his position, all his, his, uh, um, his all the positions that he holds for all of mankind? His, his office is manifold, <laughs> but he's only one. There's only, excuse me, there's no man who ever lived, no, who could even possibly claim that accomplishment, the accomplishments. And we're not even talking about, you know, there are many, many, many people 
who've lived, who've made world impact. But maybe one area, only one area at a time, you know, possibly, you know, science, medicine, you know, missiles, you know, whatever. But only one that's ever claimed any accomplishment that impacted the whole world simultaneously. Forever and ever. <laughs> he's August, or August, however you want to pronounce it, which means he's respected and dignified. He's eminent. He's magnificent, majestic, noble, and imposing. He's unique. The only one of his kind. There's only one of its kind. All the religions in the world are man's attempt to appease, to reach up to, to grasp at God, a God or ideology. Every other religion. He's the only one of his kind because Jesus is the only one who reaches down from God's position and condescends to man and he wins us. He provides forgiveness. He's the only, the unique, the one, only one of his kind. He's unparalleled and he has no equal, no match. Um, not alone, not only is he the only one, but he, there's absolutely no one that's even uh, attempted to try, <laughs> you know. Um, no match. The scriptures say, who is like, who is like the Lord Almighty? Just just opposing the question because there is no one. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? The miracles, the glory in heaven. Who is like you, Lord Almighty? He's unparalleled with no match. He's unprecedented. You think these are all the same, but they're really not. Unprecedented means no previous example of this. It's never happened before or since unprecedented. Having not only see the singular one who's done these mighty, miraculous, and merciful deeds in his time, his time, but never before or since. That's what it means, unprecedented. Never before, never since. The history of mankind has ever such things been done. You think of... um, Jesus invented it, he created it, he thought of it, he conceived it, and then he did it. <laughs> He's the first fruits, that's why they call him the first fruits of every, first fruits of creation, first fruits from the dead, first fruits, you know, there's, it, there's so many things that he did and thought of and conceived of that no one or no man has ever even thought of trying to, you know, imitate, mim- mimic. There's so many things that he can't. In every field of study, every Heroics, you know, uh, famous people that have done heroic things, science, you know, people that invented things that have impacted the world, like electricity, you know, things, literature, things that people have written, Nobel Prize worthy that have uh, warfare, um, you know, like I said, things that have been invented that really have impacted the world for, you know, sometimes good and evil as far as uh, what they what they can accomplish and actually hold people at bay because they have this knowledge or they can hurt people because they have this knowledge of warfare. There's, But like I said, Jesus was the first to conceive of the ideas, experiment with ideas, 
usually, um, I should say, others, let me clarify, others conceive things. There's usually one person who starts, like, you know, for example, Michael Faraday in the electricity. He started the idea, right? There's a lot of people who start an idea and others take it and they take it further and, you know, and they conceive of an idea to make world impacts. Um, medicine, computers, travel, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, what, Wright Brothers, you know, change the world, that, that flight <laughs> on the beach in North Carolina, you know. It's a lot of people who have made impactful things in the world. Penicillin. Penicillin, that's right. Medicine. Yes. Writings, you know, it's just, it's, no one has ever improved on the creation of man, though. No one. No one's ever improved on being able to remove guilt from the conscious of man. How would they even take, scientists try to, you know, when they give pills, they blame other people, you know, but there's no one that's been able to do what this, the amazing uh, I, uh, creations, the, the concepts, the, the ability of, of Jesus who has done so much for us. The redemption of man, the forgiveness, the sin, the removal of guilt. He's unprecedented in having no previous person do this or ever since. <laughs> All right, so he's next. He's the loftiest idea in literature. Jesus' life is based on the word, based on the life of the Jews. Okay, so we think about um, the the word of God was uh, Jesus' life based in this concept of the Jewish nation, the, the history of the Jews, and, um, and then God's word in print to us are this record of literature that's more recorded and more verified than any other literary work ever in the history of mankind. There's some that have been around a long time, a lot of that have been passed on Socrates. You know, it's a lot of philosophy, and uh, but never as to in the volume or the perfection or the ability to keep it pure in the world than the literary work of the the word of God. These are God's ideas. Just that idea alone is amazing. In print for us to read. Uh, inspiration. I just think about this. This this has in it, and I'm just going to read them really quickly because it's a lot. In this one book, establish mankind's benevolence, uh, laws and government, it's everything having to do with civilization regarding health, cleanliness, eating of good, healthy foods, treatment of animals, relationship of marriage laws, intimacy, land ownership, family inheritances, property rights, love and kindness, wisdom for justice and fairness, and uh, debts, finance, money, wealth, employment, slavery. Uh, afterlife, heaven and hell, divorce, infidelity, adultery, remarriage, sexual purity, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and then for our courts, punishment for crimes. All right, that's just one book. I'm sorry. That, you know, each one of these has a whole field. They have a whole section in the library, right? <laughs> and, and here we have it. One book has covered. This is the loftiest idea in literature, and not only in its purity, and its, but it, conceptually. The loftiest idea. And who is the word of God? Jesus. The word. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit here too. But he covers every area of mankind's interest. Everything having to do with consideration of lifestyle for everyone. 
then he's the loftiest, excuse me, the highest personality in philosophy. Colossians 2.8, if you would just turn quickly there. Colossians 2.8, if you have your Bible, I'm sorry I didn't tell you to let it, these concepts are not in the Bible, but I didn't, I wanted you to pull this out just to think about this one for a moment, because God does speak about philosophy in the Bible, and I wanted to read the scripture first before I defined it, because uh, it's, it's just to remind us that philosophy are men's ideas, okay, just to remind us of that. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Hmm. Philosophy, the definition of it is the study of nature, causes of principles of reality, based on logic and reason, including things like metaphysics studies, ethics, semantics, you know, the way of words affect and the use of specific words. But the whole reason is what they're asking, why are things the way they are? Not what are they, which would be science and research. No, why are they the, thing, the way they are? So man's way of searching out the reasons why. That's why he said, don't be, just be, watch out. Can be cheated through philosophy and empty deceit, okay? Because these are man's. Man likes to ask, ask these questions. We were made with a spiritual purpose. We are made spiritual human beings, so we ask why. I'm not so sure that the animals ask why. We do. <laughs> uh, they we find purpose, meaning, fulfillment, and happiness. This is what every single philosopher is dealing with, right? But guess what that has led to. And all the years of all the philosophical books has led to led us to postmodernism. You hear this term all the term all the time, right? Postmodern. We live in a postmodern world, and that basically is the collapse of the overarching explanations of life. Basically, we don't know because everything is meaningless. Because everything has come to us by chance. Okay, so everything has led to postmodernism, which it's basically trapped. He called it, I love this. It's trapped in relativism, trapped. It can't get out. It's once you decide that more relativism is the moral view that society or individuals decide what's right or wrong, you get to decide. And those values, they vary from culture to culture. So if you're in Africa, it's different if you're in the um, the Arctic gets different. It, it, it just depends on where you are and person to person, how you've been exposed and what's happened in your life. And basically, once described by an astute man as uh, relativism is standing firmly with our feet planted in midair. We got nothing because everything moves. Everything changes depending on who you are and what your culture is. So basically, there is no right and no wrong. That's why it's empty. That's why it's deceiving. That's why it cannot be trusted. <laughs> so God's word declares, this isn't new. Remember what happened to Israel when they came into the land? They, they re actually rejected God's ways because God had it very clearly laid out. They, they're like, you know, what? look at the hand. Uh-uh, not doing that because I want to do what's right in my own eyes. 
I want to do what I believe is right for me. And how often do we hear that? Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. So, you know, you do you and I do me. And, and that's relativism and is what God calls foolish. Because when this happens, the society begins to collapse. It gets weak. Because now we're not unified. Now we're all doing individual. Guess what happens when societies are weak? What happened to Israel? Every single time. 13 times is recorded. One after the other. They did what was right within their own size. And the other enemies came upon them and they took advantage of them. They stole from them. They took them into servitude and they took their money and took their crops because they were weak. It leads to weakness of thought, weakness of societies. It breaks down. And remember what happened? Powerful Rome collapsed because their, cor- their moral corruption. This amazing civilization came to its knees because of moral corruption. That's why Jesus Christ remains this pinnacle of our cultural test of right and wrong. His righteousness is the utter goal. It's the, it's the, it's the top goal. It's the acme of our favorable living in any society. Remember when our, uh, you, you've heard it read um, that our founders of our nation said, well, you have a republic if you can manage to keep it. Because it takes morality. And if, it does, and if you veer from, if we veer from the word of God, you've lost it. And that's what's happening. But anyway, he taught, Jesus taught like no other rabbi. Remember, they said, who speaks like this man? He speaks with authority. He, he taught the standard for righteous living. Remember on the, on the Sermon on the Mount? And it was the Beatitudes, the ultimate way of righteous living. And for any culture, any society, any individual that would follow that, but Jesus not only taught it, he embodied it personally. He is the pinnacle of uh, philosophy, the highest personality in philosophy. All right. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. And I really did not understand this one, so I really had to look this and, and study this. And I was explaining it to Greg, and I was like, oh, he didn't know the difference between higher and lower criticism either. You know, it's like it's not something we sit around talking about. But it's the whole method of, that people have used to criticize, to look into, and to tear apart, and to look at and describe the Bible. Okay, higher criticism, lower criticism. But higher criticism is the process of making evaluative judgments about the literary content of the Bible and the source of the text. So basically, it's an intellectual examination of the Bible, which usually leads to discrediting all major sources, authors, times of writings, miracles, validity of actual places, verses. Basically, they say nobody existed and nobody did anything. That's what it all comes down to. They, they criticize it. It's really interesting. I was reading some of the weather. They're reasoning. This one does, writes a paper, and this one writes a paper. Their extreme evaluations, they go back and forth, and they, 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 they key off of each other, and they form circular reasons, which eventually validate their own personal bias of unbelief, atheism, and Darwinism amongst themselves. That's what higher criticism is, right? Yeah, that's man's criticism. But even now, <laughs> even when thoughtful, intellectual people who have honest questions, they, they're seeking to be fair about their criticism, they challenge these methods of these critics, of these higher critics, right? They're discharged. You're biased. You're religious. You can't, we can't put any stock in what you say. It's like, well, I didn't, how do you know I'm a believer? You know, they're just like, I'm just asking that 
this, you're not being fair about this. Oh, you're biased. You know, so they just discharge anybody who disagrees with their little, their little answers, you know, that they've come to, but to listen to their verbiage, it's unbelievable and how they've deceived themselves to, to come to these conclusions, you know, interesting, but there's one lingering problem with these critics, Jesus, he's still here. He still remains in our society. He hasn't gone away. There's still miracles in the world. There are still answers to what? That's the problem with higher criticism because Jesus is still here. <laughs> Everything that has been said about him is remaining. The benevolence, the hospitals, the charity, worldwide education, morality, anything that's been based on a Judeo-Christian is the peak and strongest and most world impacting societies in the world in history so that is a little problem for them to say that none of that ever really happened right because jesus is still here he is the supreme problem in higher criticism (laughs) he's a fundamental doctrine of true theology and that you know i kind of just define these words he's the fundamental he's the basic foundation he's the ground and the rule for and he's the doctrine, he's the, it's the canon and the precepts, the, everything that's been taught about, these, the, about theology, which is the study of God. Jesus Christ is the foundation and basis of what is understood to be true about God and taught from the scriptures. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus equals the word of God. Jesus equals the study of true theology. <laughs> he equals uh, everything that we can see and comprehend about God can be viewed and perceived in the person of Jesus Christ. And I know you've heard Pastor Greg say that a lot. Everything that we need to see about God can be seen in the person of Jesus Christ. But this is why in John fourteen nine to see Jesus is to see God. He says, to Philip, he says, have I been with you so long and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who sees me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And remember, he tells us that he is the word. John 1, 1. And the next one, he's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. Christianity is, this is defined by, I'm just going to read it to you. It's from the Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics, okay? I just find this very fascinating. This is, uh, I don't I mean, no, I, I imagine they're probably a source that's weighing all the religions of the world, you know? This is their definition of Christianity. I love it, actually. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> Christianity is the monotheistic, completely spiritual, and ethical religion which on the basis of the life of of its founder, Jesus, as redeeming and establishing the kingdom of God, consists of the freedom of his children and includes the impulse to conduct from the motive of love, the intention of which is the moral organization of mankind and the filial relationship to God, as well as the kingdom God lays the foundation of blessedness. Isn't that amazing? That's a perception of, of, you know, a group of people's explanation of Christianity. Wow. 
That's, I, I thought that was just a blessing. Religion, they say, is intrinsically personal. Isn't that true? We still consider each person's religion their very own right. And it's very personal. Even though, as a whole, you know, we all kind of aspire to one or another, you know, personally, it's, it's, it's our religion, right? It's ours. But Jesus is the leading basis for this. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. I want to think about this from, he's the, oh, oh, I forgot to mention. It's intrinsically personal because it's our relationship or any man's relationship with the material and the spiritual worlds. It's us trying to connect with a spiritual world that we know is there. Yeah. No, it was uh, Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics. That's what it was called. So it's our connection. Re- religion is man's really trying to attempt to connect with something spiritual because we live in a physical realm, right? But let me just say, Jesus, he says the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion because Jesus is the leading basis. He's the only one who came from the spiritual realm to the material realm. The only one. And he's both physical and spiritual, okay? Um, it was absolutely necessary that he came to be man, isn't it? And we think about it sometimes we don't realize, oh, why did, you know, it gets a little fuzzy with all the reasons why. He had to. He was the only one that can touch heaven and earth. He's the only one with material and, and, and uh, spiritual. He's the bridge, the connector. He's, the, he's how we come to know the kingdom of God. Remember in Luke, I did a study of Luke once. I, I don't even know how much he... The whole point of him coming was to teach us about the kingdom of God. He was trying to teach us about this spiritual kingdom. That's why he came, to die and to to show us what it was going to be like. He's how we come to know this kingdom, the principles of the kingdom and kingdom thinking. He, spiritual religion, religion is the kingdom of God known to us. Jesus brought us that. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And the last one, he's the miracle of the age. Now, we've all heard the probabilities of the Immaculate Conception and all the prophecies that have been brought uh, about what it took for Jesus to fulfill any of those. Eight of them, I guess it was just, you know, one to the 146,000, you know, possibility. Impossible. And, um... The Immaculate Conception is the single most incredulous event in the history of the world. You could say, how many chances do you think in the world does it take to be, you know, conceived without a man? No, that's zero. (laughs) That's not even one to the 145th thousandth, you know, that's zero. There's no chance, you know, the Immaculate Conception is the most singular, singular, incredulous event in the history of the world. So it can never happen. And the predictions that happened, you know, the improbability of happening with all the other things that aligned with his birth was absolutely off, off the, hum, you know, the, the charts. And to hear the, um, it's just really mind-boggling. But <laughs> it was all done. You know, why God, I heard, I just heard a teacher speaking on this this week. I think it might have been, um, um, John, it doesn't matter. One of the Calvary Chapel pastors talking about, he said, the only reason he did all that was to show, was to prove that God's word's true. 
That's why he had prophecy, and that's why he did the miracles. He, he did the miracle, but he told us he was going to do the miracle. There's no one, and there's no way that could happen. That's why he was proving to us that God's word is true. He's proving this is true. We can believe this because he has done this in such a way. God is who he says he is. Jesus' birth, his life, his teachings, his miracles, his followers, his death, his resurrection, his church, his ascension, all God, all true. Because he said it. No thing or no one in the history of mankind compares. He is the miracle of the age. Every religious leader, national leader, philanthropist, inventor, medical scientist, at their best or at their worst, you know, sometimes they're destructive tyrants that, that have impacts in the world too. But nothing has had such a lasting impact throughout all of the ages. This is Jesus. And this is my king. And this is just one day of our study, right? <laughs> Isn't that just, I just, it changes how I view him. It changes how I respond to him. It changes how, I mean, I, you just fall on your knees. You're like, that he would care for me. And next week, guess what we're getting into? His works. His works. It's what he does for us. And, you know, we've gotten into his majesty and his power and his glory and so much of who he is. And now we're getting into what he does. And it just is beyond humbling, is it not? Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Lord God, your impact on this world is amazing, is incredible, is unbelievable. There's no escaping it. And we are witnesses to you, Lord God. Jesus Christ is the highest, is the most supreme. You know, we just want to stand before you in this knowledge, and we just want to perceive you, Lord, as this amazing being, this person with, with whom we honor and, Lord, you deserve, Lord, with our humblest, humblest adoration, Lord. We just come to you with that. And we thank you, God, for condescending to us, to me, Lord God Almighty. In Jesus' name, amen.